0: Okay, guys, back to uh, Romans chapter 11, and um, let me let me read it to you, and then um, comment rather extensively. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 7. I'm going to read through verse 10. Romans chapter 11, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking; the elect obtained it, but the rest. Hardened, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now, guys, um, I told you at the 1st of November that uh, there were some difficult things in that uh, little passage, that little four-verse uh, paragraph. We've covered two of them. Um, you thought that the issues of election and this hardening thing in verse, you thought those were hard. You thought those were difficult. You thought those were the biggies. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we Christians, we we battle over that stuff, and we... Um, we, uh, you know, have our opinions about that that issue. But um, l- let me assure you, you um, the non-Christian world doesn't give a wit about your views of election or your views of God hardening. He doesn't don't care at all. What they do rail against and what they do despise is what is contained in verses nine and ten. Now, guys, let me say real quickly, verse 8 is just an amplification of that whole thing of, of hardening. It's a quote, well, it's really, he puts a couple of verses together, but primarily from Isaiah 29, 10. But that, he's just expanding on the word hardening. God gave them a spirit of stupor, you know. He said God hardened them and God gave them a spirit of stupor. The same thing, just a repetition of the word. Now, but when we come to verse 9 and 10, there's a change. There's a shift in, in in the in the thought um, of the Apostle Paul. He quotes David, and of course, is quoting a Psalm, quoting from Psalm 69, and he does something there, ladies and gentlemen, that is absolutely unthinkable in the non in the mind of the non Christian world. I debated um, with myself. Uh, as to how I um, I might proceed with verses nine and ten, because um, what what should I do first? Uh, should I explain the text first, or should I explain this enormous offense behind the the, the text? Uh, what I decided to do is to pick the one that was going to take the most time, because you know we don't meet next Wednesday night. That's the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, so we won't be here. The Wednesday after that is a congregational meeting. And we'll have that little vote. We'll do that pretty quickly. And then we'll come back to this, and then we'll have the results of the, of the vote. But um, So I decided to do the one that would take the most time, because we've got the most time tonight uh, as opposed to December the 3rd. So then, um, I want to explain to you um, this particular statement, um, <clears throat> which is a type of several other kinds of statements. So, let me try to explain and show you the great offense that is taken by the the non-Christian world. Guys, um, uh, this may be a new term to some of you. I hope not. But uh, verses 9 and 10 is a quote from Psalm 69, which is known as an imprecatory... Psalms, you ever heard that term? The Psalms of imprecation, the imprecatory Psalms. Uh, If you've never heard of imprecatory Psalms, ladies and gentlemen, you need to listen up. Because as I'm telling you, they don't give a whit about what you think about election or hardening. They don't care. But they are furious about this. The non-Christian world is, that is. Um, There are about four of them. Uh, contained in the Book of Psalms. This is a quote from one of them that you've got in, in Romans 11. Let me show you why they are so hated. So you're going to need to flip over to the Psalms with me and I'll try to do this real fast, but go first to Psalm 58. I, I got to read somewhat fast here, but you, uh, you'll get you'll you'll pick this up once you hear what's in these Psalms. This is Psalm 58, beginning at verse six. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away when he aims his arrows. Let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Flip over to Psalm 109. This is another imprecatory psalm, beginning at verse 6. I'm not going to read all this, but just um, uh, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. And perhaps the worst one, at least in my opinion, uh, is in Psalm 137. Psalm 137, um, uh, I'm going to read you verses 7 through 9. I really am reluctant to read to you verse 9 because it is it is hard, but I will. Uh, Psalm 137, verse 7, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who rep- repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. <laughs> now, do you see why they're hated? Do you? By the way, that's called imprecation. That's why they're called imprecatory psalms. They are requests, they are pleas, they are prayers on the part of the righteous that the wicked be destroyed. I mean, that's a nice word. I mean, uh, let their babies, let somebody dash their babies against the rock. And so the non-Christian world sees that in the, as contained in what we consider a, an inspired book. And they say, ha, 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 you want me to believe in a God like that? I'm telling you guys, they don't give a, a hoot about what you think about baptism or election or anything. We can fight about that all you want to. What they care about is you believe in a God that includes that kind of stuff in this book. There are three particular offenses that come out of the mouths of the unbelieving world about imprecatory Psalms. Number one. Some dismiss the entire Old Testament. You, you don't know the name Marcion or Marcionites or Marcionism. It's about a, it's a third century cult. But Marcion was one who dismissed the whole Old Testament because of these imprecatory Psalms and said that they describe, in his words, the God of the Old Testament is a bloodthirsty bully. So the Old Testament is—that's that, that, the—we're fir- going we're gonna to look at each one of these. Uh, uh, Old Testament bad. That—that was—that's the first line of argument from the non-Christian world. The second one is this: <clears throat> um, what they're suggesting is that the teaching of Jesus Christ is completely contrary and vastly different than what you find here. Oh, how different! Is the teaching of Jesus that is what is contained in these imprecatory psalms? That's another line of offense. So they say um, uh, Jesus. We'll put it: Jesus's teachings are different, and uh, you can't you can't accept those and his because they're so vastly different. They contradict each other. The third one, which is the one that that um, that really. Uh, is very modern, uh, very, very much voiced. Uh, I mean, it's usually going to take somebody with a little bit of scholarship to mention these two. But this third one is on the, is on the lips of any average unbeliever. And what they're suggesting is, I can't believe in a God who is a God of such vengeance in general. And the idea of punishment and hell in particular is nothing more than a grim fantasy. I can't believe in a God like that. You've heard that. You believe in a God that will do that? You believe in a God that will sanction statements like this and let the little ones be dashed against the rock? Can, Can you see, ladies and gentlemen, that they don't care about whether you immerse or sprinkle? They don't care about that. What they care about is what you see in in Romans chapter 11 verses 9 and 10 is a piece of imprecation. David says, let their table become a snare, a stumbling block, and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and bend their backs forever. Blind them, God! Blind them! That's what I want! (laughs) That's the way we're represented, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's what the non-Christian world has stuck in their craw, deep down in their craw. Um, What's even more of a concern to me, you know, we had a... Well, I don't need to tell you that. Um, Some of you may have heard of the name Clark Pinnock. Clark Pinnock... Claims to be, and and really, oh gosh, when I was in seminary, you know, in the 70s, um, Clark Pinnock was a well-respected evangelical and still considers himself an evangelical. Clark Pinnock has written some stuff of late, in the last 15 years, 10, 15 years, that is absolutely hard to believe that anybody could write. It's called Open Theology. Uh, you don't need to know anything about it, but I mean, it is it is unbelievable, but... In addition to that, I'm about to quote you Clark's Pennic view, not of imprecatory psalms, but the kind of thing of punishment in hell. Listen, Listen to what, this is just one sentence. How can one imagine for a moment that the God who gave his son to die for sinners because of his great love for them would install a torture chamber somewhere in the new creation in order to subject those who reject him to everlasting pain? Um, subject those who reject him to everlasting pain. N- now, guys, that's that's what's at stake in the whole imprecatory psalm issue. And I want to address those. Oh, I need to write something up there. Let's call this something. Um, uh, God bad. Um, I, I don't, I'm just trying to get us something to work with up here. Um, so, those are the three lines of argument. Um, I dismiss the whole Old Testament because God is a bloodthirsty bully, as depicted here. Um, it, those imprecatory psalms are so out of touch and so out of sync with the teachings of Jesus. And third, um, I can't believe in a God of vengeance. Um, punishment at all is just bugs me. But hell in particular really is something I I won't tolerate. Now, those are the three lines of arguments, ladies and gentlemen, that are at stake or that are aimed at this whole issue of imprecatory. Now, do you know why I came here? Because Romans chapter 11 verses 9 and 10 contain an imprecatory psalm. Psalm 69 is the fourth one. I, I, I read... I read to you from Psalm 58, Psalm 109, Psalm 137, and Psalm 69. I think those are the only four. I could be wrong about that, but they're called they're called imprecatory psalms, and they are an issue. They are a difficulty for us guys. So, what I want to do is address uh, all three of those issues, and we've got to do that fairly fast. So, I hope you got your Bibles with you. And um, first of all, let's look at this issue of uh, rejecting all of the Old Testament because it does it it it's a, it depicts a bad God. Um, I want you to go to uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And uh, also in Acts chapter 4, if you would just put your finger over there. The, but the verses are almost they're not identical, but they say the same thing. Or at least what I'm trying to draw from. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Okay? And then I'm going to read uh, Acts 4.25, if you want to write that down. Um, but I want you to notice. By the way. Um, if I were to ask you who wrote the Psalms, you're going to jump forth and you're going to say David did. Uh, that's true and it isn't true. David didn't write all of them. He wrote about 75 of them, but he didn't write all the 150 of them. Maybe he wrote more than that. Maybe he wrote 90 of them, but he didn't write all of them. So, but but we're talking about David here, and um, notice what it, what it says in verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Do you see that? Same thing is said in in chapter 4, verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's being said there? In the New Testament, what is being said is that the Holy Spirit used David's mouth. Acts 1.16 and 4.25 both say that the Holy Spirit was using David's mouth. Now guys, um, I don't know of a better definition of verbal inspiration than what I just said or what I just read. The Holy Spirit using David's mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if I were to ask you who wrote the Bible, if you said God, you're wrong. God did not write it. He did not pin it. What He did do, however, is over, is superintend, inspire, lead, carry men while they wrote it. But Peter wrote those words. But behind it, is the Holy Spirit of God, and every word that Peter wrote is, of course, um, inspired by the God behind him. But you see here, David, no, the Holy Spirit, using David's mouth. Now, guys, um, go back to those imprecatory Psalms, and... um, I mean, if you do away with the Old Testament or don't like the imprecatory Psalms, then first of all, your biggest problem is one of inerrancy. That is, you no longer have an inerrant Bible. But let's just say you're going to take the ones that have David's mouth attached to them, but not the other ones. Then what you've got is a selected inerrancy. And who is the author or who is the, the appointed selector? You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay, well, David, the one David wrote, yeah, the Holy Spirit used his mouth. But not those other ones. So so what you're doing is saying, yeah, I'll take those, but not those. So you've got an inerrant Bible as long as you agree with what's said. I'll tell you somebody who did that and uh, is very famous for having done so. His name is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible and, Cut out the parts that he didn't want or like, and he ended up with about 81 pages. And his Bible, by the way, is in the, um, um, is in Washington, D.C. The Thomas Jefferson Bible. I mean, you can't touch it, but you can see it. But, but guys, at stake with this suggestion that the whole Old Testament is bad is a, is a contradiction of what the New Testament claims. That God the Holy Spirit saw fit to use David's mouth. You know what's going on when those, Pieces of imprecation in these four Psalms? The Holy Spirit is using David's mouth. <clears throat> All right, that's the first one. Secondly, secondly, Jesus' teaching is so much different. Is it? Is it really? <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, that is. Abject naivete, if, for you to, um, hold to such, or for anyone to hold to such a position, I don't think you do, but, um, surely you know that the most prolific teacher of hell in the Bible is Jesus. In fact, the one who spoke most frequently about hell in the New Testament was Jesus more frequently than all of the other writers combined. Gang, the Lord Jesus spoke more about hell in the New Testament than he did heaven. Let me show you one. Go to Matthew 25. Um, I'll just read you the couple of verses out of Matthew 25, uh, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know who's talking there. Guys, go back to verse 41. Um, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared prepared very clearly ladies and gentlemen um for jesus hell was a real place now but in addition to that thought that he speaks more frequently than um, than anybody else for you to suggest that these um Oh, by the way, there was one other thing I wanted you to see. That is uh, Jesus' view of the, of the um, where is that? John 10, I think. I wrote that down somewhere. Yeah, John 10, verse 35. I did want you to see this. John uh, Jesus' view of the Old Testament. He says in John 10, 35, um, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, again, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about Scripture. What he's talking about, as you know, is the Old Testament. So, what you are saying by your rejecting these psalms of imprecation is is that the preeminent teacher of love and mercy and grace ever in the history of man, that you are less barbaric than he is, that is, you are more compassionate, you are wiser, um, you are more full of mercy than he is, because he placed his imprimatur on that whole book so um, uh, let me just put not so um, the the words of imprecation in the psalms are not different than what jesus taught and by the way i we could spend a long time look at it elsewhere i'm telling you I remember when Susan and I first became Christians. Uh, one of the first things they taught us in Evangelism Explosion is that Jesus speaks more about hell in the New Testament than he speaks about heaven, and I found that shocking. But it's true. <clears throat> now, here's let's let's look at the um, the third one, and the third one has to do with I can't believe in a God of vengeance like that. Guys, I hope you'll I hope I can explain this well because. Um, this this is wonderful if I can explain it decently. Go to Matthew chapter ten. We got two things, and we got our we got eleven minutes. <clears throat> Matthew chapter ten. You know this passage. You know that you've you've heard of this story before. Jesus says in Matthew ten twenty eight, "Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather." Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now Jesus is saying that. Now I want you to, I want you to try and grasp what, what all this means. Gang, Jesus says in verse 28 that there is no physical destruction that can be compared with the spiritual destruction of hell. Okay, you see that no kind of physical demise could possibly compare to the torments of hell he says as you know I think um, you know I'm I, I don't I don't even enjoy talking about the subject but and every time we do there needs to be some tears in our voice but Guys, hell basically is a separation from God. It's the absence of the presence of God. Jesus is saying that nothing that you can possibly experience in this life could ever be anywhere close to compared to losing the presence of God. And yet... That is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's the point, guys. By an understanding of hell, that is the only way that you will ever know how much you are loved. How much does Jesus say, You need to avoid that at all costs. That is the word. that you That's what he says in Matthew 20, 10, 28. No physical harm. Don't worry about that. But make sure. And yet, that is the thing, folks. How much does Jesus Christ love his people? He loves them to the point that he will experience for them the most dreaded hated thing that can possibly occur he's going to experience it. guys I suggest to you that it is because of the doctrine of judgment and hell that Jesus's proclamation of grace and love is so overwhelmingly wonderful. do you do you see that? guys. Absent hell, remove hell from the picture, and what Jesus did for you is not that big a deal. Because has has there never been a man who's died for somebody that he loved before? Sure there has. Did you see uh, Saving Private Ryan? A lot of people died for their friends. But no one has experienced hell for them. You want to know how much we're loved? We are loved to the point that the Son of God would endure the most inconceivable of inconceivables. Remove that, and you have assaulted the love of God. You've you've. You've emasculated. You've eviscerated it. You've you've drained it of its beauty. And so for Jesus to proclaim forgiveness and grace and love to to people who are deserving of that, it becomes all the more hard to fathom. Now I want to show you one more thing and then I'm done. I want you to go to Isaiah 51 with me. Isaiah 51, beginning at verse 6. <clears throat> the book of Isaiah is hard to it's hard to handle because so much of it is addressed to Israel in captivity. So so managing a proper interpretation is not as easy as it might appear. But um i I don't think I'm bungling it, but uh, you can be the, the judge verse six, isaiah 51 six lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the, uh, and look at the earth beneath for the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Listen to me. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Now, gang, this is not the only place to which we could turn to, to make these points, but I want you to know that in those brief three verses, you have the essence of what faith is. Do you see what you are being asked to believe? Let me point it out. And, and what I, I i love when he opens verse seven by saying listen to me listen to me and then he goes on to explain some things and here's what you're being asked to believe number one that there is a distinct separation between the righteous and the wicked that's first second you are being asked to believe, In a punishment of the wicked. Look at verse 8. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. And the worm will eat them like wool. And you are also being asked to believe. That there is a forever. Look at verse 6. But my salvation will be forever. Uh, Verse 8. Um, my righteousness will be forever. Now guys, you you are being asked to believe that there is a separation in all of mankind between believers and unbelievers. You are also being asked to believe that there is a punishment. You are also being asked to believe that there is a salvation that is forever. To rid yourself Of the whole concept of, guys, I don't even enjoy this. I don't don't take any pleasure in this. But to rid yourself of some kind of issue of punishment in hell. Burn your Bibles. Don't come back here next week. That's foolishness. I'm saying that all throughout this book, listen to me. There is a distinct separation between mankind. There is a punishment that is awaiting those who refuse grace and mercy offered by Christ. And the reward, both positive and negative, is forever. There it is. Now, to attack these is to attack that. I, for one, Find the imprecatory psalms absolutely alarming, upsetting, difficult, and hard to understand. Yes, but I would never dream of trying to rid the Bible of something that it contains. Our Father, I do pray that you will help your people adjust to the to the um, to the pleas on the part of. Holy Spirit-inspired Bible writers to think through the, the awfulness of what awaits those outside of Christ and the terror that the Son of Man experienced because He loved. He loved them He loved them all the way to hell. And I pray, O God, that um, the love of God might become more dear to us, more enriched, broader, bigger, healthier, deeper, more profound as we consider what it costs the Son of Man to make the offer, the free offer of the gospel to people like us Who if we get what we deserve, what we deserve is everlasting punishment. And yet we bless you tonight because the Son of Man has stood in our stead and got what we deserved. The one who lived the life that we should have lived and then died the death that we should have died. All For love's sake, we pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.